It's January 25th, 1890, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. It was today in history in 1890 that the pioneering female journalist Nellie Bly returned from her trip around the world. An idea that had come to her, as she recounted in her memoirs, through simply a dearth of ideas. She was trying to think of something to present to her editor as her next project, and she thought, I need a vacation, why not take a trip around the world? If I could do it as quickly as Phileas Fogg did, I should go. That's exactly how I became a technology critic. (laughs) <laughs> there was a brief spell where I did gadget reviews and I did one day I was in the bath I was like I want some free iPods I'll be a technology critic yeah. she just wanted a holiday so journalism hasn't changed <laughs> yeah, I mean you can totally understand how given uh, Nellie Bly who was born Elizabeth Jane Cochran you know who is best known today for having spent 10 days in a inverted commas madhouse which was an early example of investigative journalism just fancied the idea that actually it might be more fun to <laughs> like <laughs> Not sort of <laughs> stick herself in a mental health institution, but actually go around the world meeting people and, you know, eating exotic food. So this was the day she came back and it was back to New Jersey, New York being the starting point of this round the world trip, which in itself was pretty savvy PR because the newspaper she was writing it for was called The World and was based in New York. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of got it all there. Um, and she was welcomed with 10 celebratory gunshots from Battery Park and another 10 from Fort Green Park. But there was no doubt really that she was going to make it at this point Mm. because the last bit of the journey was just across the USA, obviously. So there'd been kind of two weeks when she was in the Pacific where the newspaper editors had completely lost her and thought, oh my God, have we just lost our journalists? Mm. But then she arrived at San Francisco and so the last bit of the journey was the newspaper chartered a single car train to speed her across the country <laughs> and people came out cheering and waving. Yeah, but for some reason, the chartered train, it was chartered by the publisher of the paper, Joseph Pulitzer, that Pulitzer. What, the one from Disney's Newsies? <laughs> That's the that. one. He wasn't all bad. Uh, this, train was, this, this private train was called the Nellie Bly Express and it whisked her from San Francisco to Chicago in then record-breaking time of 69 hours, but then she had to get on a normal train, so it must have been a real step down. She writes about it in her memoir. She said, like, it felt very slow to have to get onto a normal passenger train. I'm like, they could have really taken her all the way to New York, frankly, at that point. You know, it would have been quite nice. Well, the previous bit she described as one maze of happy greetings, happy wishes, congratulating telegrams, fruit, flowers, loud cheers, wild hurrahs, rapid handshaking, and a beautiful car filled with fragrant flowers attached to a swift engine and you're like that actually does sound intensely pleasant but it's funny that like fruit gets a mention in that lineup but maybe she was just feeling deprived of like home comforts and at this stage 72 days later as you say she was just quite happy to be back on home soil but actually also and i know it's unfair to typify a journalist by one random quote but actually, just that thing you just read out there, it said flowers twice, didn't it? It did, actually. So she lists yeah. things, Repetition. telegrams, fruit, flowers, yeah. and then she says, and a beautiful car filled with fragrant flowers, All was it? good so, journalists need a sub-edit. <laughs> that's so, the well, simple yeah. truth of it. it. It's interesting, isn't it? Because that's the point, isn't it? She's not an amazing writer. You read her memoirs mm. now. They're actually very easy to read, like they're accessible, mm. but she's, she's she doesn't have great description. She's not someone you would send around the world to colour in mm. international details. What she is 
is like a, a stunt, mm. basically, right? Because her career started in Pittsburgh, where she was tasked with writing only for the women's pages. Her thing was like, okay, well, if you're going to get me to write about knitting and book groups, then I will just go and do some absolutely magic. <laughs> and, and then you'll have to let me publish something interesting. But the writing doesn't quite justify it. It's, the, it's always yeah. the idea is better than the writing, isn't it? I mean, part of what they were commissioning, I think, was a stunt that her editors imagined was simply impossible. One of uh, her editors said, no one but a man can do this. And so partly they'd sent out this so-called stunt girl or girl reporter, as they referred to them at the time, as a way of proving to themselves that a, the mission itself is impossible, but B, it's particularly impossible for a woman to do it. And at the same time, they'd also created a kind of a headline generating competition, which was that she, unbeknownst to herself, Bly, was uh, actually racing against another reporter who had set off at roughly the same time. Yeah, and this is, I think, just completely... I mean, I'm still angry for Nellie Bly that this happened. Because <laughs> this was her idea the year before. Her publisher had been saying, yeah, no, sorry, love, only a man can do that. There's no way we're going to put you in that kind of level of harm. And then when they decide to go for it and prep her and she's ready to go, on that day, the rival newspaper in New York, Randolph Hearst's The Cosmopolitan... It's yes. that cosmopolitan that one. as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sex tips and travel um, tips. <laughs> uh, they thought, ah, oh, well, we, we could probably beat that because they looked at the itinerary that was published on the front page of the world and they were like, okay, she's going east. Why don't we go west? Mm. Why don't we go through America first? Because, I mean, exactly like I was saying when they brought her back, we know how to do the US bit quickly. Mm. So we'll get her going through the US quickly, our girl, and then she can beat this other one because she won't know that there's another... A reporter doing the same thing and the person they chose was the literary editor Elizabeth Bylan who it wasn't her idea she didn't want to do it and she was sent off packing on the road within nine hours to to just steal the thunder of this rival yeah. So let's talk about the journey itself. It begins, obviously, with her having to pack her bags. And rather than the dozen trunks that her editors had suggested she was going to pack, her being a lady, um, she, <laughs> she, I guess, just determined to prove them wrong, packed incredibly lightly. And so in her bag, she had just one piece of luggage and it would have, you know, it was small enough that it would have complied with today's airline carry-on regulations. She had a few changes of underwear, some toiletries, right implements, a dressing gown, a tennis blazer, a flask, a cup, two, <laughs> <the essentials> two caps, <laughs> three veils. You never know when you're going to need a veil and, you know, a few in quick succession, <laughs> I presume. A pair of slippers. I like that as a sort of uh, a fellow journalist. Needles and thread. Good idea. And some handkerchiefs. One thing she didn't take was a gun. And she said uh, that she didn't take a revolver because the world's greeting me as I greeted it. Presumably being like, I don't want to bring on kind of violence wherever I go. I mean, another thing she definitely didn't have with her was a man. Um, partly because she'd had the experience of being a foreign correspondent uh, earlier on. She'd spent five months in Mexico sleeping on mattresses on the floor, etc. Uh, she wrote in the Pittsburgh Dispatch, a free American girl can accommodate herself to circumstances without the aid of a man. Um, so all of that's pretty kind of 
inspirational, but of course didn't stop her attracting the attention of men who thought that what she exactly needed was them. Mm. Uh, so she had an offer of marriage uh, on one of the boats and also another ship's captain was romantically interested in her and sort did, did of just, uh, insisted that she was looking for a partner. Did you see, did you read that bit in the memoir? Because that bit was really weird because a lot of it's like, it's obviously a very whirlwind tour around the world. So you get really sort of short accounts of her doing like, you know, like exotic things like she goes to a leper colony in China. She visits a Hindu temple she buys a monkey in Singapore blah 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 <laughs> but also there's like this weird bit where she attracts this stalker on board the boat who yeah. kind of approaches her and starts saying that he's in love with her and then he talks about like throwing them both overboard and eventually he's sort of you know accosted and taken away by other people that bit was really weird because it did make you think oh like this is this is kind of the other side of it, do you know what I mean? Is that she was this lone, unaccompanied woman in a time when that was quite unusual to be, to be travelling without an escort, you know, a brother or a husband or something. So there was that aim to it. You don't really see it that much in the text because she was so plucky and very, very self-confident. Yeah. So the way that she actually finds out that she is in a race is remarkable in itself. So when she arrived in Hong Kong on Christmas Day, she reported to the office of the Oriental and Occidental Steamship Company and there the man in the office told her that she was going to lose the race and she she said what do you mean i i don't understand lose it and he said are you having a race around the world and she said yes quite right i'm running a race with time and he replied time i don't think that's her name <laughs> it sounds like she didn't have that much contact with her editors during the journey because she was moving so quickly and because she could only really send telegrams on the go she was writing her actual long-form copy and sending it by post so it was taking you know a couple of weeks to arrive which had this knock-on effect which is that they had created this big publicity machine you know is she going to be able to go around the world in 80 days blah 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 but the problem was they didn't really have that much from her during the journey Mm. so to keep anticipation high they had this you remember like spot the ball competitions you used to have on the back of the paper where you put your little cross where you thought the ball Mm -hmm. was meant to be in the photo of the football match yeah so it was basically that it was the blind guessing match where readers were invited to guess her precise time of return and the winner would receive a trip to Europe. But anyway, she did win. And when she got home, she got a board game named after her, a railroad train named after her, a racehorse named after her. And then, despite all this pioneering journalism, she sort of retired. After a few more missions, she retired and married a millionaire who was 70 years old. (laughs) She died of a heart attack on January the 27th, 1922. But her grave had no headstone until 1978. So considering she's such an inspirational figure to a lot of particularly young female journalists, extraordinary, isn't it? But no one even knew she was there. It was one final gag from her editors going, where do you think her grave is? (laughs) (laughs) Tomorrow. It was Britain's biggest exodus since the Pilgrim Fathers sailed 300 years ago. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.